Good morning. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of, took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already atta- obtained. Attained, sorry. Join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Thanks, Candice. That was great. Uh, I'm Dave. It's great to be here. I hope you're having a good morning. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been a huge sports fan. I don't know if you're like this. Um, I've, I've followed different athletes um, throughout their careers, and I've noticed a bit of a trend during their careers, they're, they're mean, lean, fighting machines. You know, they're all about healthy eating, uh, intense fitness regimes. But then they retire, and seemingly overnight, there's a dramatic shift in their lifestyle. Jeff Hugel, here's a good example of this. Um, where is he? Oh, there's no slides. That's okay, just have to paint some good visuals for you. <laughs> That's good, it means I don't have to use this flicky. <laughs> um, ever, um, so Jeff Hugel, right, I don't know if you guys know him, he's a world champion butterfly. Um, he's, but he's probably better known for what happened after his career. So during his career, right, uh, he'd be getting up at the crack of dawn, doing laps in the cold pool for hours, perfecting his technique... And then after that, he'd probably go to the gym, be pushing weights, uh, pushing his already fatigued body to the limit. And in all of this, uh, there'd be a disgusting and healthy diet, full of questionable green things and a sad lack of carbs. After his career, though, it was a different story. Um, His early morning wake-up was a thing of the past. And the new challenge no doubt, was how many times he could snooze the alarm. I'm sure you guys feel that challenge sometimes. The gym was a place for socialising, and his healthy diet was replaced by a balance of meat pies and pizza. Yeah, yum. In some ways, it does sound pretty good, doesn't it? Um, But if you saw Jeff Hugel, 
Uh, you would have seen what this lifestyle did to him. And it wasn't long before his athleticism. It was a distant memory. What causes this dramatic shift uh, for athletes like Hugo? I reckon it's got something to do with their goals. You see, for them, their big goal... Um, oh, here we go. There you go. There's Jeff Hugel. You see, for them, their big goal uh, is, for, um, is for during their career... Sorry, their big goal is to make it as an athlete. And they'll do whatever it takes during their career to make this happen. Diet, fitness, whatever it takes. But once they retire... And their focus is no longer on this goal. They rest on their past achievements and they become complacent with their lifestyle. Today, we're continuing to work through the book of Philippians, a book written by a bloke named Paul to a church in Philippi. And at the time Paul's writing this letter, he's in a Roman jail for telling people about Jesus. And if anyone could sit back and say they've made it as a Christian... It'd be this bloke. But Paul wants them to know he's not getting complacent. He's not stuck in his former achievements. Rather, he's pressing on and he's doing so with one goal in mind. We see this in verse 12. Um, Not that I've already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, uh, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So for Paul, what's the goal he has his sights on, uh, which he's pressing on towards? His goal is to know Jesus. And this is our first point. Like Paul, knowing Jesus is our ultimate goal. In order to see what Paul's talking about, we need to comb through some of the passages leading up to today. In verse 8... Uh, Paul says, What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. You see, Paul considers knowing Jesus more worthwhile than anything, and he makes it his goal. On first hearing this, I think it can sound a little bit um, strange. After all, this is Paul, right? This is the guy who literally met Jesus. He spent the last years living for him. Surely if there's anyone who knows Jesus, it's this guy. But what Paul's saying here is that he wants to know Jesus better in a deep and personal relationship. Paul's known Jesus for a long time. And yet, despite all of those years... He's all too aware he's only just scratched the surface. From uh, verse 10, Paul explains three different ways he wants to know Christ. Firstly, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. For Paul, he wants to experience the power which brought Jesus from the grave back to life and to have this same power at work in his own life to make him more like Jesus. Secondly, And knowing Christ includes participation in his sufferings. Paul wants to identify with Jesus and follow in his footsteps, uh, even at the points where it might lead to him suffering. And then finally from verse 11, and knowing Jesus involves becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining 
to the resurrection from the dead. Here Paul has his eyes on the final day, a day when Jesus returns. Because for Paul, this is the culmination of his goal. Uh, This is the day that his body will be transformed uh, to be like Jesus' glorious body. And he'll be able to know and rejoice uh, in God, in Jesus, completely, without any limitations. In all this, Paul wants to make it clear he's not achieved this goal yet. And to make sure that we hear this, he tells us twice in the first two verses. In verse 12, he says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have arrived at my goal. And then verse 13, we hear, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself uh, to have taken hold of it. Paul wants us to know that his goal to know Jesus It's not been realized. There's still progress to be made. I think in hearing this, uh, we can feel the tension, can't we? Because as Christians, we know that our salvation is secure in Jesus. It's only in Jesus. And yet when you hear Paul talking like this, it kind of sounds like uh, we've got a role to play in this. For Paul, he knows his salvation is secure in Jesus And this is something that we'll see in the text a little bit later on. But at the same time, he wants us to know it's a dangerous thing for a follower of Jesus to become complacent. To take our eyes off the goal too soon uh, because we think we've made it. We only have to go back to the opening illustration with with Hugel to see why. As believers, we don't want to be like this to think we've already reached our goal because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And for us to not be desiring a deeper knowledge of Jesus, it would mean we're not rejoicing in Him. And this is a dangerous place to be. So instead of being complacent, we need to keep moving forwards towards our goal. And this brings us to our second point. Forget what's behind and strain towards this goal. In verse 13, Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's captured by this final union with Jesus. And so he wants to keep moving towards this. And to do so, he's got a twofold strategy. Firstly, he forgets what's behind. And secondly, he pushes forwards towards the goal. So first, forgetting what's behind. Now in saying this, Paul's not uh, telling us to block out the past, you know, move to the motto, live and let die. It's, that's not where he's going, I don't think. Instead, uh, he's referring to his old way of life. Uh, it's something that we saw last week in verses 4 to 6, where he used to put his confidence in himself. Uh, thinking that somehow, through his upbringing, uh, through the way he kept the Old Testament laws, he could make himself right with God. But since coming to know Jesus, uh, Paul knows his salvation, his future, it all rests on Jesus and what he's done. His sacrifice on the cross, uh, defeating death and rising to new life. So, All this in mind, Paul seeks to leave his old ways behind. Uh, Last week at Fix, in our youth group, we did this passage, and 
probably, I wouldn't say my biggest highlight, but one of my highlights, I was watching a clip of people uh, who were walking while on their phones. We witnessed some sensational stacks. I think we've got them here. So first, this is all legitimate. So first, there was a guy uh, who took a tumble down the stairs. Uh, Next, there was a lady who face-planted into a lift door. And finally, uh, there was an older woman who um, took a tumble into a garbage bin. There was a common link between all of these people. They all took their eyes off where they were going. Paul doesn't want us to be like this. He knows that to look back at his old way of life, I could trip him up, draw his confidence away from Jesus. For us, what are the things in our lives that we might um, be tempted to put our confidence in? Now we've arrived at the second part of our strategy. Keep pushing towards the goal. We hear this in verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Paul here, he's using sporting language, straining towards what's ahead, pressing on to, goal, pressing on to the goal, getting the prize. And as he's speaking, you can visualize the sprinter, someone like Usain Bolt, who from the moment he takes off from the blocks, Every single muscle fiber in his body is being used to get to the finish line. I don't know about you guys, but that's not necessarily how I think about the Christian life a lot of the time. But from what Paul's saying, maybe this is critical. The reality is there are so many voices in the world who are demanding our attention. And sometimes it can be hard to keep our focus on Jesus. How could adopting this mindset of straining towards Jesus, how could this help us in running the Christian race? Although Paul's use of sporting language here, it's pretty pretty common, there's something that's a little bit out of place. And we see this in verse 14. I press on toward the goal uh, to win the prize for which God's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Unlike the competitive runner, uh, who doesn't know where they'll place, or even if they'll finish the race. For believers, uh, we have every confidence of where our striving leads us. Because ultimately, we're called to this goal. And not just by anyone, but the God of the universe is calling us. And he's secured this hope in Jesus. Uh, This idea is also reflected in verse 12, where he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. God's the initiator in this race. And it's this confidence in the future which allows Paul to press on towards the goal. So what about us then? Well, in verse 15, Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. So a question for us to consider, are we adopting Paul's way of thinking? Uh, to help us think through this, let's go back to Paul's twofold strategy. Firstly, are we forgetting what's behind? That is, are we letting go of the things in our lives uh, that might draw our confidence away from Jesus? For instance, are there things in our lives that we're proud of? 
Uh, maybe this pride's attached to an achievement. It could be career or status or education or wealth. Um, or even here at TNE, it could be that we're proud of our denomination or the particular way that we do church. Or in serving, uh, maybe we're tempted to compare our serving abilities to other people or how much we contribute. Or in our Bible studies, ironically, maybe it's um, the knowledge of the Bible you have, which is something you're proud of and how it's more than other people. If we're taking pride in any of these things, it's possible that this is drawing our confidence away from Jesus. Moving on then to the second part of our strategy, um, are we pushing towards the goal? What are our goals at the moment? They might be great goals. Um, Establishing a career, finding the right partner, uh, marrying to somebody who's great and godly, uh, owning your first home, settling into early retirement. Um, None of these things are bad in themselves. But are they drowning out Jesus in our lives? I wonder, what difference uh, would it make for us if when we wake up in the morning, uh, one of our first thoughts was something like this. In my busy day ahead, uh, how am I going to keep straining to get to know Jesus? And if some of our first words uh, were along these lines, Dear Jesus, please help me to get to know you better today. Some days, you might feel like you're flying in this pursuit, a bit like a sprinter, uh, but I'm sure there are other days uh, it'll feel a bit harder, more like a walk, uh, even a crawl. Getting to know Jesus, it's an ongoing process and one that won't be fully realized until he returns. But our strategy is clear. Instead of being complacent, and we forget the past and we strain towards Jesus. At times, this can be challenging to know exactly what this looks like on a practical level. Uh, But in God's kindness, we're not alone in this pursuit. And this brings us to our last point. Follow examples like Paul. In verse 17, Paul says, "'Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters.'" And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So as we strain towards the day when Jesus returns, we look to examples like Paul, uh, who are doing the same thing. This makes sense to me. Uh, Anyone who knows me knows that I have a terrible sense of direction. Um, Yeah, a few people are laughing. They've probably been in the car with me while I'm driving. At one time... Uh, I'm, I took a trip to Marion Bay, York Peninsula. Some of you would know that place. I ended up on a 10-hour detour. I can tell you about this later, but it involved Port Pirie at one point. So when I got my driver's license, whenever I could, I'd drive in convoy. And these trips are always a great time because I don't know if you've ever done this before. You don't want to get too close to the car in front uh, that you rear-end them. But equally, you don't want to get too far behind and lose them and end up on your own detour. As you guys can imagine, Google Maps has transformed my life radically. (laughs) The thing about driving in convoys, generally, I knew where I wanted to go. 
you know, the beach, a friend's house, the movies. But there was always just a couple of turns I was less familiar with and that I was unsure about. And so to avoid getting lost, I'd follow someone else uh, who was more familiar with the route, who had a better sense of direction than me. In the same way, as we continue pursuing the goal, we need to follow the mature Christians in our lives, are those who are focused on getting to know Jesus. When we hear um, this sporting language Paul's using, I think the kind of examples we can think of are like active examples, you know, always on the move, a thousand commitments. But often I reckon the best models for us are they're the people who go under the radar, uh, who are just faithfully following Jesus every day. And you can see this in the way they live. As some of you would know, uh, my brother Ben, he's got chronic fatigue. He has for the last 15 years or so. And um, when he was in his teens, when he was in his teens, it was probably, you know, at the worst. We'll get there. (laughs) And there were some days where getting out of bed would be the big challenge. But I remember wandering into his room one time. I was probably trying to steal his clothes or something like that. (laughs) I did ruin a lot of his clothes. (laughs) And there was a piece of paper um, stuck to his ceiling, uh, just in line with the head of his bed. And on it read the words, Jesus could come back today. Now, he'd be the first to admit uh, he's not perfect, And as a younger brother, if you push me, I'll tell you a story or two. (laughs) I'd gladly tell you a story or two. (laughs) But he's a good example for me of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, thanks to God, he's gotten a lot better and he's still pushing on towards this goal. So what are these examples for us then? Uh, Looking around TNE, it's a great place to start. There's a lot of faithful models here, people who are seeking to know Jesus. But it's also worth looking at our other context, where we spend most of our week. School, university, workplaces, parenting circles. And these areas, are there faithful examples that you can be following? Uh, People who are seeking to know Jesus, and you can see that in in the way that they live in that context. I remember going through uni, uh, and for me, there was one faithful brother who I looked up to. He was just a few years ahead of me. Um... We had these weekly Bible talks uh, on campus. And every week, I noticed that he'd sit next to someone new. And they were usually, usually by themselves, probably a little bit awkward. And this always stood out to me. Because uh, this was a popular guy, right? He could have sat next to anyone. He could have a great time. I bet he chose uh, to sit next to these people. Because uh, he knew Jesus. And that affected how he lived. Whoever these models are, keep following them. On the flip side, though, it's worth also asking ourselves the question, are we an example to somebody? This could be someone in your family, uh, children, siblings, spouses. could be Christian friends in any of those contexts we talked about. Chances are most of us are an example to somebody. In these relationships, 
would it be clear to them that our number one goal is Jesus? In the following verses, Paul explains why following uh, mature Christians is so important. And that's because there are enemies of the cross. I don't want to sound alarmist, but that's what it says. They're enemies of the cross. Verse 18, uh, we hear, For as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, we're not told who these people are. Uh, They could be a group we heard last week Paul referring to as dogs. More likely, though, are they people who are actually abusing their freedoms in the gospel. In verse 19, Paul gives us four descriptions of these people. First, their destiny is their destruction. These people, uh, they put their confidence in something other than Jesus. And so Paul sees that for them, they've got no hope. Secondly, their God is their stomach. In other words, uh, rather than them seeking to serve God, their primary object is to serve themselves. Thirdly, their glory is their shame. That is, the things that they should be finding shameful, and actually take pride in, they glory in those. And we could think of any number of examples. Uh, Drunkenness, sleeping around, gossip, the list goes on. Finally, uh, their minds are set on earthly things. You see, all of their attention and focus, uh, it's on worldly activity. A stark contrast to Paul, uh, who, as we heard before, his mind's on things to come when Jesus returns. Paul considers these people enemies of the cross uh, because they stand in opposition to everything that Jesus represents. I haven't had many, many enemies in my life. Um, you know, maybe it's because I'm such a lovable guy. Uh, thanks for laughing. <laughs> That's great. Uh, more likely, it's because I hate conflict. And so for me, hearing that there are enemies of the cross, it's actually a bit unsettling for me. At this point, I think Paul wants us to be rattled, to see the stark contrast between a Paul-like example and an enemy of the cross example. And more importantly, he wants us to reach one conclusion. Don't follow an enemy of the cross. They'll lead us away from Jesus and the hope that he has. And if we keep following them for long enough, it'll lead to our destruction. So who are these people? They could be in any sphere of life. They could be friends or siblings who have walked away from their faith. Or maybe they're still professing a faith, uh, but everything about them seems to suggest they've sold out to this world. Paul's not saying we dissociate them or reject them in any way. Maybe... In a specific situation, you might have to think about how you distance yourself. But what Paul is doing, as he's pleading with us, don't follow these examples. Instead, let's follow the examples that are desiring Jesus. Now, at this point in our passage, in a full circle moment, Paul again reminds us of what's at stake. From verse 20, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables 
him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. What Jesus has in store, what Jesus won for us, is so much better than anything in this world. That on the day Jesus returns, our bodies, they'll be transformed to be like his glorious body. And we'll be able to know Jesus without limitations, without any limitations of our bodies, and rejoice in him for eternity. With this goal in mind, Paul gives us one last directive, and this is where we'll finish today. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my crown and joy, stand firm in the Lord in this way. So in what way do we stand firm? By straining towards our goal and following others who have this same goal. We stand firm by not being complacent or distracted in this pursuit, but instead seeking to know Jesus better every single day. How about we pray together? Dear God, uh, thank you for this time uh, that we've been able to spend together wrestling over your words. We thank you for the great hope we have in Jesus. And that when he returns, uh, he'll transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. That will be united to him for eternity. We pray that um, you might be shaping our hearts to desire this more and more every single day. And that this will be reflected in the way that we seek Jesus now. We thank you for the faithful examples in our lives and pray we'll keep following them. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.